Welcome to The Barrel Banter, a show covering all things Milwaukee Brewers. From trades to signings, player analysis to game recaps, or discussing uniforms, ballpark food, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Welcome, Brewers fans, to The Barrel Banter. I am your host, Peter Goh. David, the regular season is upon us. It has begun. The Brewers beat the Cubs two out of three, and we got to see... Some pretty cool performances from the Brewers' fresh men, uh, mainly Price Turing, Garrett Mitchell, and Joey Weimer. Um, they, they're off to a great start, and it's it's definitely fun to see. Brewers taking two out of three in Wrigley after a rough Corbin Burns start in Game 1. David, what were your thoughts on, on the first series of the 2023 Brewers season? Overall, it was a success taking two out of three at Wrigley. Last year, they went into Wrigley for the opening series. Lost two out of three. Woodruff had a brutal start in game two of that series, if anyone remembers it out there. That's the one Brewer game I've been to at Wrigley in my life, and he allowed probably six or seven walks. But it was a much different story this time. Overall, a successful weekend. I know the the first 16 innings of offense was not fun. Thankfully, my baseball and class schedule coincided such that I didn't really get a chance to watch much of the series. So that that 16-inning streak, I only really heard about it after they had already won the game. Okay, I mean, it's a little more bearable to uh, to go through then. But, I mean, overall it was a success taking two out of three from an improved Chicago team. Yeah, no, they definitely they definitely are. Dansby Swanson, of course. Uh, Cody Bellinger, I guess a bigger name more than anything at this point. But, yeah, definitely some new faces in Chicago. They're not, they're not quite the the joke, I think, of a team that they were last year. So it's not you're not going to be a, just a cakewalk series. And anytime you know teams come out uh, opening day, it's cliche, but everybody says it. Obviously, everybody's got a, an equal uh, chance. Everybody's tied for the division at that point. So they're definitely going to play like that as well. Anytime you get Cubs, Brewers, there, of course, they'd love to see the Brewers get off to a rough start. So like you said, at the end of the day, Brewers winning two out of three is a great start to the season. Of course, uh, on the road and returning back home for a three-game series against the Mets, and then they'll be hosting the Cardinals in a weekend series. Uh, they get to face off against their division rivals. Uh, I think there were a lot. There was really a lot to take away here from from the the series. We have to be careful not to uh, over what's it, overemphasize, I guess, the uh, the small limited time frame that we're seeing guys perform in. But it's we've got to see pretty much everybody. Uh, every pitcher's pitched. I know besides Bryce Wilson. We've seen the majority, if not all, of, of hitters appear in games. And, of course, we're getting to see the first of Bryce Turing and Joey Weimer, which we saw both plenty of in the series. So before we get more into the to the Brewers opening opening series and previewing the Mets series, some of the news, of course, with Luis Urias, most importantly, David, the garbage man, our random player of the day, who was brought to us by uh, one of our listeners. So thanks for sharing that on Twitter. I did remember the name, but I forgot the, the whole story, and David's got quite the story here. So, David, who is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is Joe Winklesauce. That was that name was provided to us by Brett in Chicago at Brett underscore Johnson ninety one. So, thanks for sending in Joe Winklesauce. We have quite the story on Winklesauce. I'll go in kind of in order of his his life, I guess, more like his baseball career than his life. But he attended junior college at USC Selkahatchee, which is a D2 Juco in South Carolina, and he led all of D2 Juco in ERA his sophomore year. That went that propelled him into Elon University, 
And actually, he was a 47th round pick by the Phillies after that Juco year. Didn't sign, went to Elon, ended up being an amateur free agent signed by the Braves in 96. So he didn't even get drafted in the 50-round draft in 96. Signs a non-drafted free agent contract. Is able to make his debut already in 99, which is pretty impressive for a non-drafted free agent. But he just went a third of an inning, allowed two runs. Career ERA of 54 up to that point. Bounced around a little bit between double-A and triple-A in the Braves organization. Released in 03, played indie ball in 04 and 05. He then became the pitching coach at Niagara University in 05 for the 05-06 season. And that was that came famously after his garbage man stint, where he worked as a garbage man in 2005. I think it was during the offseason, 04-05, and before, he didn't really play much in 05, so during that time, and he actually credits gaining arm strength and being able to sign a contract with the Brewers to that stint as a garbage man. So props to the, I think he was living in Buffalo, New York at the time, so the, the Buffalo Garbage Disposal Company, I don't know what company he worked for. It said in his Wikipedia page that his official title was sanitation engineer or something of that nature, but that he was actually literally picking up garbage. Anyways, he threw a bullpen in front of the Brewer Scout that he knew in 06 because he lost the bet. I don't know who he lost the bet with, but he lost the bet, impressed the Brewer Scout enough to sign him, went on to appear in seven games in 06. He had a 7-7-1 ERA across seven innings. And on July 4th of 2006, after those seven innings of pitching in, pun intended, garbage time, he announced his retirement due to arm numbness. He ended up making a comeback a little bit in 07 and 08 in um, AAA, and then he pitched a little bit of indie ball later. But he had quite the journey. He threw seven and a third innings in a major league career that spanned, well, across seven years, but two different seasons, including seven appearances with the Brewers of mop-up duty in 06, but he made it. So Joe Winklesauce is today's random player of the day, probably the most random Brewer of all time. He's up there. Uh, Tim Monroe has, has yet to make an appearance in the in our podcast. His name has not been name-dropped recently, so I'll have to throw Tim Monroe. He's, he's up there, but he doesn't have the, the origin story quite like, like Winklevoss. That's, that's really one of a kind. I think of, uh, was it Randy Dobbs? The Uber driver turned well. Uber Randy Uber Dobnik. Dri- Robbie Dobnik, that's right. Randy Dobnik, uh, the part-time Uber driver in the off season, and then the next season he's pitching in the playoffs for the. T- yeah, did he get a start in the playoffs? I think he did. Yeah, against yeah. the Yankees. Yeah. I remember watching it on my phone while at a wedding. That that was fair enough. Sorry, that, it was yeah. your wedding. I, I don't remember whose wedding it was. It, it wasn't mine, so I guess that's okay, it. Wasn't that yeah wasn't that you have been caught on the video on. If you were if you were doing that, yeah, standing at the at the front, the altar, yeah, watching yep. uh, Twins Yankees. At least at least make it a Brewer game if you're going to do that. Yeah, if it if it was okay, if you're getting married during like a Brewers playoff game, I would probably just put the TVs up in the back so everybody can see the TVs as the ceremony's going on. That you could you could do that. There there could be potentially some issues with that. I could I Maybe. could potentially see perhaps, but uh, but, but if I mute them, yeah. <laughs> you know maybe it's okay. Regular maybe. season, no, no, we'll take the wedding over the regular season game. Okay, that's, playoffs that's... after the first round. After the first round, 
As long as the Brewers, yeah, as long as the Brewers are playing someone other than the Rockies. If the Brewers play the Rockies, you don't have to bother watching. I was just seeing a couple of highlights from that series. That was that was a, a sort of a fun series, but also like the Dodgers mm-hmm. series was also more fun, but also wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, let's uh, let's let's go to our trivia question today, which will tie into to, to some of the things that we're talking about, and uh, it's a little bit twofold. A pretty basic trivia question. Like David said, he didn't get a chance to watch much of the series, so maybe I'm picking on him a little bit with this question. But um, the question today is, who leads the Brewers in batting average so far in this uh, short, brief season? And I'll, I'll ask it first, overall, who leads them in batting average? And then among qualified players, I think there's only seven players that, that qualify at the moment, um, who leads the Brewers among qualified players. So it's two different players. But first, David, who leads the Brewers in batting average at this point? Any guesses? Is it Bryce Turang? That's a good. That's a good guess. It is. I wanted to highlight this because Owen Miller is the Brewers' leader in batting average. He's he's one for two, so he's 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 above above your expectations. Since I know you're expecting him to hit what four hundred this year, mm-hmm. close to it. Right over four 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 oh seven. Beat Ted Williams. Sounds good. So he's he's pretty close. And actually, ironically, uh, you were very close with your guess among qualified players. Bryce Turang leading the Brewers in batting average. He had a really good day, really good game in game three. We saw a lot of a lot of the rookies play well in that game, but Turing, I think he went two for two for three with two walks. I believe he had a double, an infield single, two walks, and then um, even his out was a pretty good line out, on a, uh, had a good A-B. Um, got, I think he got behind 0-2, 1-2 or something like that. Um, and yeah, took, took a couple pitches, got to a full count, got a ball, in the zone and laced it into center, just kind of right at Bellinger uh, for an out. But he looked he looked really good. Um, he he obviously had the infield hit in Game Three. Of course, his first major league hit also being if that wasn't Bryce Turing, a, a little high chopper in the middle infield that he legs out. Like I was realizing as I watched him too that he's he's got a little a, a lot of Dustin Pedroia. He's got like a Dustin Pedroia heart, and especially at second base. Like I, I'm not gonna say he maybe has the tools that Dustin Pedroia had, um, but he he Which has that. Dustin Pedroia have. Heart, I guess that's that, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Seventy grade heart. Seventy, oh yeah, seventy five probably, definitely, so. yeah, eighty grade, eighty grade hustle, eighty grade grit. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. But two rings got he's got the eye black, he's got the hustle, he beats out and field singles. The it factor, exactly. He does. I mean, he does. It was he does, he does though. Yeah, he <laughs> does. He does. So I mean, uh-huh. obviously, it's he had, he had a good game, but so good to see um, a guy like him start off on the right foot, not to mention, of course, he's going to have an increased role now with Luis, Luis uh, Urias, who will, will now be out uh, six to eight weeks. We were saying really closer to eight weeks. Um, and, and we, I'm sure, as you already know, of course, when the news occurred, Brewers reacted by calling up Joey Weimer. So, of course, at this point, unless you consider Churio in the mix, which is a little bit of a stretch, for like really the only of the a current core of rookies that are is yet to be in the major leagues, which is kind of ironic, given that he's in some ways the top prospect out of all of them. Um, and if you throw Mitchell in there as well, um, so Fraley kind of the lone man out still in AAA. The left-handed hitter doesn't doesn't help his case, but Joey Weimer came in, um, got plenty of at bats in that series. We got to see him a little bit, and and really now David with Urias out, we saw Turing get the opening day start at second, um, and um, yeah, at second, I believe. Um, but uh, and, and just continue to play. And I think we'll see that uh, as well because 
at this point, you lose Urias, two rings probably going to step up. You might see Brasso a little bit more, uh, but Brian Anderson, uh, of course, likely moving from then the outfield to third base, and that really opens up the spot for uh, Weimer. So what do, what do you think the, the Urias injury, what was your reaction to that, and, and how the Brewers' depth can come into play as a result of it? Well, we've already seen the depth come in huge with, with Weimer coming up. They can slide Brian Anderson over to third. That's how they'll account for his at-bats primarily will be Anderson taking his reps at third with Weimer filling in and right. So we knew going in this was going to be a team that, on the position player side especially, but but even in the, the rotation in the bullpen, this would be a team of depth. And so we're seeing that early on. Of course, you, you were hoping not to see it already on opening day. Why, why do they continue to have Wrigley host early season games when they could have it in Milwaukee instead? I'm, I'm not sure, but... They did, and, and Urias strained his hamstring, perhaps as a result. I mean, what are you missing in, in Urias's absence? We've seen Urias for a couple of years. We know what we're going to get out of him. He's going to have an OPS probably in the mid to upper 700s. He could be a little bit better this year, maybe. He's a solid defender at third base, can play second as well. So we know what we're getting in, in Urias. We don't know as much what we're getting in Brian Anderson or Joey Weimer. So I think that's going to be the big separator you don't have as much consistency there. You don't have as much of a known commodity in Anderson or Weimer that you would have in Luis Urias. So I think that's going to be the main thing they miss out on for for his absence. And while he's gone until already, I mean, we're thinking early June. Yeah, yeah, that's it is serious injury. And you're right. I mean, we haven't necessarily lost any guys for the year, but we've Urias down, Ashby, probably the other big piece that's that's out as well that's impacted both the, the rotation and the pen hauser of course a lesser of those but yeah Brewers already been hit with a couple injuries and i think something that's underrated too is the fact that brian anderson can play third in right field because if, if you think about it i mean the brewers have good depth but they've also got positional flexibility with several guys i mean weimer's going to be playing right he could play some center uh, mitchell has some versatility outside of center as well um, but Anderson having the ability to play both both third base and right field, Urias being able to play second and third, two ring, kind of play a little bit all over the field. Miller's got flexibility as well. It's something the Brewers have certainly certainly emphasized in the in the uh, David Stearns Matt Arnold era, uh, or I should say in the Brewers era dating back to to David Stearns um, time with with the Brewers. But it definitely it, it it I think kind of stretches your depth if that makes any sense. Um, further than it otherwise would when it's you've got your starting first baseman, a backup first baseman, or maybe first base is a bad bad, bad position to pick on, but you've got your starting shortstop, your backup shortstop, and then you got your guy in AAA. Um, and, and more traditionally, maybe you had a, a you, you had one utility man who, who could kind of move around the diamond, but usually those guys were also weren't going to be protected to hit like Brian Anderson might hit, or even maybe Joey Weimer. I mean, these were light hitting guys with positional mm-hmm. flexibility and We've seen, um, I don't know if, if probably Joe Madden um, and the Rays sort of, yeah, sort of started that movement. Yeah, I would say so. That That's probably the biggest difference in the way that we approach bench spots. I mean, if, I, if you think back to, well, I say this like we were around, but if you think back to the, the early 80s or the even even into the 90s, Teams had a 25-man excuse me, a 25-man roster with, I think they had 10, 10 or 11 pitchers only. So especially if there's no DH, eight position guys 
that leaves a spot for six or seven bench players. So when you're talking about a six or seven man bench, you've got room for almost one at each position. You can have three infielders, a catcher, and three outfielders, or two catchers and three infielders, two outfielders, however you want to divide that up. And that's where we got some of those pinch hitting specialists and pinch running specialists, the the, the Matt Sayers or the, the Herb Washington from the, the Oakland A's. The different specialist players, which I do kind of miss, but also we didn't have the super utility guys, and especially the ones that can hit because positional versatility is so important now with the number of pitchers that we have on each roster. Yeah, you're right. That is that is a good delineation between what it, what it was and what it used to be. And, and like I said, certainly we'll have an impact and put a little bit more pressure on Anderson and Weimer, guys we thought we'd have some production from and, and have some opportunity to play this year, but we didn't expect them to have, I guess, this, this large of a role this early. So... It, pu- it pushes the Brewers a little bit. Uh, like I said, of course, overall a successful series. Brewers winning two out of three in Chicago. And David, you you were we've talked about the the parallels between 2005 with the young core position players, but we talked about two ranks starting opening day. Another, you know, another I guess uh, similarity between 2005. I think you had shared something about Fielder Weeks and Hardy um, in regards to the Brewers rookies as well. Yeah, it's it's a, a a stat or a fact. I don't know what you would fall under, but the last time the Brewers had three position players who were rookies and former top 100 prospects starting in the same game was September 11th of 2005 when they had Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, and JJ Hardy, all rookies, all recent top 100 prospects in the starting lineup. Sunday they had that as well. They replicated that finally 18 years later with. That was 18 years ago, with uh, Joey Weimer, Bryce Terang, and and Garrett Mitchell. So the interesting thing is that there's, on top of them, there's, of course, Sal Freilich and Jackson Churio. They actually have a pitching staff. In in 05, 06, there was Ben Sheets. Gallardo came up. They had had prospects. They had Mark Rogers, who was was a top 100 prospect at the time. They had... uh, some guy named Mike Jones. I don't actually remember him. I just saw him in prospect lists. Top 100 prospect. So they, they had guys that were expected to be good, but the Brewers, of course, have the established arms right now. So if prospects can, like like Mitchell, like Freilich, uh, Weimer, like if they can make an impact right away, similar, I would say, to what Weeks and Fielder, especially Braun did, that's going to be huge. And we've... we've talked about it a little bit before this could be a 2007 or 2008 type season in terms of the the composition of the roster but I think it's interesting that it's been that long since the Brewers had a trio of homegrown position players all together and all coming up at the same time all rookies together and, and in the same starting lineup is that do you think that it really is a long time 18 years between I mean how often do you have three top 100 prospects who are all around the same average, you know, ETA in the MLB. Is it, is it, is 18 years a long time to have between those? You do. I mean, if I had 40 hours on my hands, I would maybe research every team, but unfortunately I don't. If, if, uh, if someone wants to do that research for us, we will welcome it. We will shout you out on our next podcast on Twitter and we will thank you for your work. But if, um, but, but I think, I think it'd be, pretty, I wouldn't say common, but like I would guess in a competitive cycle, especially for a, 
a small market team and one that relies more on player development, I think it would be more common. A team like the Rays, a team mm -hmm. like the Braves, they're not small market, but they're they have a pretty strong emphasis on player development. The Nationals, maybe they had their core of, of guys that, that won the World Series. So I think it'd be it'd be more common than once every eighteen years. Yeah, that's fair. Any other takeaways that you had from the Brewer series? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, to recap, why don't we just go ahead and briefly mention what happened in each game? Opening day, they were shut out four nothing by the Cubs. Marcus Stroman threw six shutout. Burns went five innings, four runs. A couple major league debuts with Gus Varland and Bryce Terang, but. Not much going on the on the offensive side of things. Game two, they were down one, yeah, down one nothing going into the eighth. Put up a three spot. I thought Miles Masturboni probably should have had that ball on uh, who was it? William Contreras who hit it. Two run single gave him the lead after Winker tied it up with a single, and the Brewers ended up taking that one three to one. Kind of kind of stole it from the Cubs. Nice performance by Brandon Woodruff. And then the, the finale for the series, the Brewers put up nine on the Cubs. Tyone went four innings, three runs, but then Julian Merriweather allowed five earned runs in two-thirds of an inning, so a pretty rough outing for him, and the, the Brewers' offense got going. So my first takeaway I have is, is they scored 12 runs for the series, which we were worried about the offense halfway into the series. Ended up scoring 12 runs, but they had no home runs, so... I'd have to imagine Bill Schroeder was licking his chops. He was probably quite excited about the, the zero home run effort. I know the wind was blowing in at Wrigley pretty strongly. Probably saved a, a grand slam off the bat of Jan Gomes from from making it a pretty close game in, in the finale. That that contributed to the zero home runs, but that also was is going to detract from scoring. So 12 runs in, in three games with no home runs is pretty impressive. The second takeaway I had is Woodruff was excellent. He threw a lot of his, his changeup that is kind of new. Kurt Hogue from the Journal Sentinel was talking about how he he changed his, his changeup grip in, I think it was June or July of last year, and it, it really became a lot better. He, has, he had the highest whiff rate on his changeup last year of any pitcher, meaning 54% for him of his swings were swings and misses, so... That's an incredible mark for uh, for for any pitch, for a changeup or breaking ball, whatever it is. And eight of the eleven swings were swings and misses in his his first start. So that was the pitch that was really his out pitch, primarily against lefties, but even just in general, he struck out Bellinger on it a couple times. Ian Happ, pretty much all the lefties in the Cubs lineup, and he threw it twenty four percent of the time, which was up from last year's mark of sixteen percent. Small sample size, but still threw a little bit more than, than he did last year. And my third and final takeaway is a good start for the rookies, particularly the guys making their debuts. Gus Varland and Bryce Terang both debuted on opening day. And Varland got out of some trouble in, in his first inning in uh, on opening day. Terang got his, his first major league hit on that first day. And Terang ended up with three for seven, hitting 429 for the series with two walks. So an excellent series for Terang. An excellent start to his career. Weimer's two for seven so far in his first two games. And Gus Varland sealed the four-run win. Well, closed out the four-run four run win, four-run lead. I don't know how to say that properly. <laughs> four run, a four-run win, I'd say. 
So either way, Gus Varland, he pitched a, a semi-important inning already in his, his second major league outing. So pretty good job done by uh, Gus Varland and, and the, the rookies as a whole. Varland's not the top prospect that Turang or Weimer are, but he's still a guy trying to establish himself in the majors. And we talked about him even making the opening day roster being something that was competitive and something he had to do to, to make it to the majors. But now to stick in the majors, he has to prove himself and prove that he's worthy of, of holding down a Rule 5 spot, which would be a first for the Brewers since the famous Wei Chung Wong back in 2014. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll echo a lot of that that you said. Rookies, obviously, were, were kind of the shining spot, Turing specifically. Mitchell hit a triple also. Jesse Winker, good game in Game 3 as well. Had that big RBI single in into left center. That was big. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of good things. Not super concerned. It's one outing for Burns. It was one bad inning that mm-hmm. also defense didn't help him at all. Um, there wasn't I, the the. And I'm gonna. I'm not gonna have this com- with complete accuracy. But I, I saw that last year. I, again, I'm gonna be off on these numbers probably a little bit. But last year there were like six stolen bases on opening day between all the games or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this year there were like 31 attempts or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, I think, and I think they were 29 for 31 as a whole in the major leagues mm-hmm. on opening day. So that, that I thought that was, I mean, that's massive. That's that's one game, but that's five times the number of steal attempts in across baseball, also not across one team. So five times more stolen base attempts in opening day. I don't know if we're going to see five times more steals throughout the season, but even yeah. even if we saw two or three or four times the number of steals, I mean, that, it's going to be it's going to be a lot. It's going to be definitely really significant um, across across baseball. And we've already talked about the Brewers' speed, which ties to some of their rookies. But overall, the Brewers just have good speed across the board. And um, in the in the series, I think the Brewers only had one steal. I think in Game Two, the Brewers had one stolen base. If I'm not mistaken, they they just had the one stolen base kind of ironically after we talk about how Mitchell and, and many others have the chance to really steal a lot of bases, but we'll see that it's also comes down to Brewer strategy and the Brewers also were playing from behind majority of, of both those games uh, in game one and game two. So that was a takeaway I had uh, as well. In addition to the performance from the rookies and their nine, five game, which included, I think 10 walks was only two hours and 57 minutes. So, Another takeaway is the time is down. We, we knew that was coming, but to see it in action, two-hour, 21-minute opening day contest, two hours and 57 minutes for the finale that went that had included 14 runs, 10 walks, um, 15 hits or something. That's yeah. also, if you're a fan of the quicker games, that's, that's a, a, a very positive development. I think game time was down 25 minutes in the, yep. first, the first weekend, so... I mean, I'm in favor of that. I know I was talking with some people that don't live right by a stadium, and they were saying that they wish games were longer because their their trip to the ballpark might be one or, or maybe two for the year. So I understand that, but I think for the overall fan, I mean, generally baseball, Major League Baseball, gets its revenue from the fans that keep coming back and that watch a lot of games. It's not the here and there, might go one time a year type of fans that, that they get most of their money from. So I think it, it makes sense that they would want to to uh, shorten that game time, and especially for the casual baseball fan that does go once once a year. That also is, is well, do I really want to stay till 10.45 on a Tuesday night to watch 
Reds, Pirates, no. <laughs> For a diehard fan, no, me neither. So I think that's that's kind of the, the overall sentiment is a, one of positivity. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would generally agree. MLB's obviously done their best to try to frame it that in that way, but it seems like they've, they've gotten majority of people on board. And they're also aware that, generally speaking, this is generalization, obviously, but uh, the, the younger generation of baseball fans and, and the target demographics that MLB wants to target prefers the shorter game versus the, the demographic that prefers the longer game is generally going to be an older generation. Um, so I think there's also that, and I'll be looking at how they can how they can also continue to grow the fan base compared to the NFL, NBA, NHL. I think the existing fan, though, that's that's our age or on the younger end of the spectrum, actually doesn't mind the longer game, but it's the older fans that grew up on the the shorter games that prefers it to be shorter, a quicker pace. They might not like the pitch clock, but I think they like the result of the pitch clock. But I think it's gaining the fans that are our age that are not currently baseball fans that it appeals to them, the the outside looking in right now, that maybe in five years after after games are, are shortened to two and a half, two two hours and forty minutes and they're they're a similar time to the, the NBA games. That might be a little bit better and, and the pace of them in general because the attention span of people our age is is a lot lower than than people well, is it is it lower than people who are in their 40s or 50s? I would say, generally speaking. I mean, we could definitely extrapolate further down to 15-year-olds and 10-year-olds. But, yeah, I would say, generally speaking, yes. And and it's just the way, I mean, it's just the way things have gone. There's endless opportunities. Think about 50 years ago of options that you had for entertainment. Obviously, there were still a lot of options 50 years ago. If you go back, obviously, 70 years ago, there's even less. But going to a baseball game... TV stations, weren't there? Right, right, exactly. Going, I mean, going to a baseball game was was a holiday for, for some people in that sense, um, whereas there's there's just so many options for entertainment now. It's, I was actually listening to an interview of the Savannah Bananas owner, which I won't go down this, this rabbit trail, but was sort of relates to, obviously, game time, game speed, attention spans, entertainment, baseball, all those things. If you're not familiar with Savannah Bananas, you can just look them up on uh, on TikTok. I think that's where they're the most famous of the social media platforms and see some of the stunts they do. But sort of a Harlem, Globe, Harlem Globetrotter-esque baseball organization. Anyways, their owner was talking about that they're not really – they don't see themselves competing against the MLB or minor leagues or NBA. That they're just simply they're, – they're, they're competing for attention. They, they were talking about – I mean, their other, uh, you know, competition is Disney Plus or Netflix or YouTube or whatever. Um, and it's, I was like, yeah, that's kind of interesting that you, you think you compare yourself to the other sports leagues, but really it is a little bit of a little bit of everything at this point with pretty much endless options to to entertain yourself. We're certainly in in a culture driven by driven by that entertainment. So a bit of a rabbit trail um, on the uh, on the game time, but it is it is a good call out that we have seen game times. Definitely. Well, let's just say there's been a bigger impact than 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 ruling out the intentional walk. That's that's safe mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. The lefty specialist, the the three batter minimum rule, needs to be revisited. <laughs> I I will. Uh, I, at first, I was like, okay, maybe, and then I started thinking about Donnie Hart and Boone Logan, Alex Claudio, all names that are near and dear to my heart. 
and you I thought about them, and, and I felt for them. I was I was looking at all the Brewers left-handed relievers a couple days ago. Xavier Cedeno, Sam Freeman. I like how you started with Donnie Hart, like of all, <laughs> of all people. Like, I, he would be like the most niche of all the relievers, right? I forgot he was a lefty. I, I, I honestly, if you would have asked me, I would have said he was a righty. I forgot he was even a lefty. Dan so. Jennings. Neil Dan Hawks. Jennings. Dan Jennings. That's who I think of. I probably think of Alex Claudio and Dan Jennings. Those are probably the two guys that I think yeah. of. And then, and then Xavier Cedeno. For some reason, Cedeno. Maybe he was like the first guy I saw intentionally walk somebody without intent, having to intentionally walk somebody. I could be oh. that could be totally wrong. But that's who I think of every time of the intentional walk. I think of Xavier Cedeno. Who I don't even was he on the playoff roster? I can't even remember if the Bears. for the NLCS, but not the NLDS. So that's right. He came in and he walked. Who was the lefty he walked before the Puig home run? Muncie, Muncie maybe? I think. Yeah, probably Muncie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And he came in just for that one at-bat, and then he walked him, right? Mm-hmm. I yep. think so. Yep, I yeah. do remember, do remember yeah. that. Speaking of the intentional walk rule, I'm trying to focus more on, on Bob Euchre type things. So I, I kind of forgot how much good Bob Euchre video there is out there on on YouTube. We're going to have Bob Euchre day off for uh, every Brewer's off day. So on our Twitter, we'll post about Bob Euchre for every day off, a, a nod to his, his famous quote where he says, I didn't have a lot of honors in my career, but we did have Bob Euchre day off for me once in Philly. So I, th- I think that's maybe his best quote, one of for sure. Uh, otherwise, I was thinking of the time when he said, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They, they just hold up the four fingers for the intentional walk Back when I was playing, I would come up to bat and they would just hold up the three for for the strikeout. <laughs> classic, classic. Yeah, he 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 is great. There's so there's so it's kind of a like you don't realize all the gold that there is in 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 Bob Euchre uh, videos from back in the day. Of course, this time on the Johnny Carson show as well, where he was a little bit more mainstream. But he's he's a character, that's for sure. And um, yeah, Brewers are lucky to have him. I, I was just thinking about that today that I've got a. I've got to find a time to listen to a game on the radio versus watching it just to, to listen to Euchre call it. Oh, got to figure out what, which games he'll be calling, but got to make sure I, I get a game. Will he, he's, he's, is he only calling home games this year? He, he's some, I think he sometimes will do some Chicago games, yeah. but that's okay. about it. Yeah. Yep. So Joey Weimer, we talked about him a little bit. Um, he'll, of course, I mean, you think about expectations, Going into spring training, he was sort of the last guy on the list. Um, when you think about the likelihood of making the opening day roster, at least in my perspective, when you look at Turing, Freilich, and Weimer. And, of course, he ultimately doesn't make the opening day roster, which means we do miss out on the on the Julio Rodriguez rule. So if, if Weimer does finish top three, right, top three? Mm-hmm. Yeah, top three in, in rookie of the year two. voting. Top two, okay, top two. So you'd have to finish top two. Uh, in rookie of the year voting, the Brewers would would get a supplemental pick after the first round. Um, so we aren't eligible for that because of him coming up right after opening day, unfortunately. But I guess the odds of him finishing top two aren't, aren't super high. But what can we expect from Joey Weimer? He's kind of thrust into into the spot now where he's, I think, the right field spot is more or less his to his to take, at least for the next couple months. And, and who knows? I mean, these these next two months are going to be huge for him. As far as are we going to see Joey Weimer just about every day the rest of the season, or is there still some more time for for him to develop? I think at least until Tyrone Taylor comes back, we'll see him 
if not every day, maybe four out of every five games. I think we'll see him quite regularly. They're not going to call up a prospect and, and have him platoon or have him play 30% of the time. So I think we'll see a lot of Joey Weimer. He's, he's an exciting player. He's, he's someone that I'm excited to watch. He's someone that I don't know if we've had a, a guy quite like him in recent memory. He's the like maybe the worst case scenario is he turns out like Brett Phillips. I would say that's kind of his floor, just to kind of scare Brewer fans. Maybe maybe temper the expectations a little bit. Understand there is some risk involved with with Weimer with any prospect, but with Weimer, Zips pr- projects him on, on Fangraphs for a two nineteen average this year, a sub three hundred on base, and a sub four hundred slugging. So. I think it's it's pretty unreasonable to expect him to be a star when he comes up, but you never know. Those projections, especially with prospects, are often wrong. They're very they're very conservative in their estimates, typically, except for when they projected Vladdy Jr. to win the batting title in his rookie year, randomly. <laughs> I guess he did hit almost 400 in the minors, but still. Zero major league experience. I feel like that should be factored into the uh, newfangled technology that they use. It's not very newfangled. They've had projection systems for like 15 years now. Yeah. It's like 75% of my life. <laughs> Thanks for that perspective. Yeah. Did, I don't think they had projections, though, when, when Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, and J.J. Hardy were coming up. So Fair. It has been, it has been, been kind of long. But, but I'm excited to see Weimer. I think we'll, we'll see a lot of him at least until Taylor comes back sometime in May. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about Taylor coming back probably before Urias at this point. So you're right, that is really his window. And we talked about this a little bit, of course, in the past couple of episodes. But Weimer, starting in AA last year, 761 OPS and 374 plate appearances. They call him up to AAA after a decent showing in AA. And he actually hits better in 174 plate appearances, OPS up to 888. So hit the ball well in AAA last year. Um, And I, I would say, I don't know, I guess you could... And I think he's probably has the the biggest risk, I guess, of being a bust between Weimer, Mitchell, and Freilich, I would say. I'm just going to look at those three guys at the moment and, and leave Turang and Churio out um, of, the, of the discussion. But of those three guys, because you think about the other two, they're a little bit more, I guess, I would say Mitchell's more of a complete player. Obviously, he's got the speed, center field, good defense. Um, I think too, though. You're right. You're right. I think, but I think what what Mitchell has is he's got a little bit a little bit better of a hit tool mm-hmm. than Weimer has, and so worst case scenario, you got, I guess, sort of a Brett Phillips um, in the sense that, but is that- a better a better base runner uh, in Mitchell, of course, than Phillips could or than than Phillips necessarily was or is um, in Mitchell because he's he's a better base runner, but he's going to be a solid defensive center fielder, and if if Mitchell's hit tool doesn't develop, that's I think that's. That's the one to be on the lookout for. And similarly with Joey Weimer, a similar thing. Crazy good arm. Um, it's weird to, to think that a big dude like him could play center. I actually kind of would be curious to see to see him play center field because I just with how big he is, it seems hard to believe that he could be nimble enough to, to man center field. But he's got the power, so there's no question about power or arm. And defense is solid too, so it just comes down to can he hit the ball enough to, to stay in the major leagues. Well, we did see Gorman Thomas play play center field in Milwaukee for a number of years. So my guess is, this, this is a, maybe going out on a limb, but I think Joey Weimer is a little bit more nimble than Storm and Gorman. That's, that's probably fair. 
That's probably fair. At least at this point in their life, that I would agree with. That, that's probably <laughs> and and Weimer can run. He may not have Mitchell's Mitchell's legs, but he can run pretty well. So, I mean, he's somebody that could steal twenty twenty five bags in the major leagues. I mean, as soon as this year, maybe speed doesn't really like develop as you go. It's, it, base running skills do to some degree, but but speed doesn't develop as much as say hit hit tool or, or, or yeah. game power i think really it comes down to preference though I, I don't know if i'd say mitchell has a, a higher floor because mitchell is is more hit over power or contact over power and weimer's more power over contact so it kind of i think it comes down to preference would you rather have the the guy that's more likely to hit 220 230 but excellent defense he can run he can throw or would you rather have well, and he has power, somebody that's hitting twenty twenty five home runs a year with a low average, but he does everything else well. Or would you rather have Mitchell, who maybe hits two seventy five, two eighty, with eight to ten home runs and can field, can run, can throw? I mean, yeah. that those types of players, like I generally would would lean towards Mitchell as well. But if Mitchell's hit tool doesn't develop, well, he doesn't have hit or power. Weimer. Is, is it going to be that the power doesn't come? That's a little bit less likely. It'd more just be if the hit really doesn't come, and it, instead of 230, 220, he's hitting 170, 180. That, then he's not really a serviceable major league player. Then he becomes Monte Harrison. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. But I, I would generally – I would say Mitchell's uh, no questions asked a better base runner, so he's a threat on the bases more than Weimer is. You're right, Weimer can still steal some bases, but Mitchell's uh, an elite base runner, whereas Weimer can be a good, a, a definitely a plus base runner. And uh, Mitchell's long-term a center fielder. I think Weimer's a long-term a right fielder. So that, that's why I'd say Weimer's a little bit higher risk than Mitchell. Um, but but Freelich, I think the reason he's less of a risk is because his best tool is his hit tool. And a lot of times, especially if he was playing 30 years ago, then even more the case, but still, even now, Hit tool. Hit tool is not a bad tool to have a plus plus, um, and 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 Freilich has that super short, compact, really nice swing, and definitely has the I would say most developed hit tool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he might be, he might have one of the best hit tools in all of the minor leagues, and he probably does. But he can run too. I mean, generally, if you're hit and nothing else, that's actually a pretty risky profile, and it's it's a low floor player because if you don't hit when you get to the majors, then well, what do you have to fall back on if you're that's why they say if you're a, a bat-only first baseman, well, what do you have left if you don't hit? Matt Laporta is what you have left. <laughs> I love how you're pulling out these Matt Laporta Montiers. <laughs> Mark, I'm waiting for the Mark Rogers name drop here. Mark but, Rogers. Well, that, yeah. that would be an, an injury one. So that would That's be true. if Aaron Ashby has lingering shoulder issues Matt for Gamble. the next five years, and I won't speak that over him. No. No, Freilich like, like has more than just a hit tool, but his hit tool is advanced enough that it seems like he could he could go into a major league lineup today and hit 275 at least as a as a rookie. Yeah, so he, he's he's very developed. I, I saw one of his at bats at AAA today. By the way, MLB TV you can get the audio version four dollars a month, and you get audio so you can listen to Bob Uecker. No blackouts for the the audio. You get the MLB free game of the day, and then. You also get access to watch all of the minor league games. So $4 a month, and it gets you MLB audio, and it gets you all the minor league games if you're interested in watching the affiliates. So 
I just subscribed. I'm, I'm not interested in paying $25 to watch all the other teams, but I, I, I'd kind of rather watch Nashville or Biloxi play on a on a Tuesday night that the Brewers are, are off or, or they play a day game and I have some time. Watch watch one of the affiliates. Yeah, yeah. I, it is an interesting conversation because we don't talk about the, the risks much with, with prospects, of course. But I think that, that is an interesting conversation that, that we had. And, and I agree with what you're I'll just close out what we're talking about. I agree. Freilich has lower risk because dude hit over well over 300 last year in AAA um, in pretty significant time. So uh, kind of like you were talking about Vlad Guerrero hitting 400 in the minors. Now Freilich is not Vlad Guerrero Jr. He didn't hit 400 in the minors, but we're also not expecting him to be Vlad Guerrero Jr. when he comes up. So I, I, I think he's he's going to hit. And you're and, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Like like the guys who get drafted in the player comp is like Mike Trout or some somebody ridiculous like that. I remember Austin Beck, he was an ace prospect. We, I remember watching him in Beloit actually one time and it was they're like player comp, Mike Trout. <laughs> okay. No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you haven't seen him in a big league uniform yet. And I think he was drafted in twenty seventeen or, or eighteen. Yeah. Really? I remember the name. I do remember him oh, seeing where? him as well. So before we end today's podcast, we're, we're going to do a new, a new segment. We're going to try to incorporate some new segments as we go throughout the season. We're also going to be um, bringing on some new guests as the season progresses, especially as we get into the summer summer months and into the heart of the season. We'll be bringing on some, some guests. So if, if you do want to see some guests on the podcast, maybe we'll tweet out uh, something to you can tag who you'd like to hear on the show, and we'll, we'll try to get them on and, and get some alternative opinions and thoughts perspectives on the podcast as well at that point. So maybe, one of the segments, maybe Joe Winklesauce. I, if anyone knows, if anyone knows where Joe Winklesauce is or how to contact him, let us know. And, and we'll try to get him on the podcast. And that's, and that's actually serious. Cause I would actually really enjoy to hear that. That'd be a really, a really fun story to hear from his perspective. Like, I mean, you talk about the grind and Bryce Turing, uh, we talked about his heart and you saw that on the, the freshman, freshman, uh, not freshman, freshman, uh, the newest video of, of him calling his family with after the news of making opening day and him just crying and I mean yeah the amount of work we talked about that last time that was that was cool I I really enjoyed seeing that because I can't say I've seen a video or anything like that of a a player when they found out that they made the opening day roster and and talked to their family and yeah just a lot of years of of work so definitely. So anyways, our, our, uh, our, one of our new segments we're going to be doing is our, our weekly random. So it's just a random topic. Either somebody, somebody asked for us to discuss or, or we just thought was, was worthy of, of bringing up, but it has really nothing to do with, with anything else going on this week. Um, David's, I guess, pretty good at, at coming up with these. These are probably like the... I just got to think about random based yeah. topics. Yeah, probably. This is probably... Yeah, exactly. This, this just comes to you probably at like... 3 a.m. You just probably wake up and are like, "Huh? Should coaches have uniform numbers?" So that's that's today's today's topic. Not going to be a super long uh, debate here, but David, I'll I'll pose the question to you first. Should coaches have uniform numbers? Full disclosure: This one I got from an article. I think it was on the Athletic with the Yankees beat writer. I think it was. I forget forget his name, but so it wasn't originally my idea, but it is a question I've thought about before. Think back to the days of Connie Mack that, of course, we all experienced <laughs> back when he retired at age 88 in 1950. Yep. But he wore a suit, so he did not have a number. He did not wear the, the Craig Council sweatshirt that I often wear to the uh, the recordings of this podcast. 
He, he wore a suit, so there was no number there. But coaches don't really ever wear their uniforms anymore. They used to, but they don't. So should they have uniforms? Excuse me, should they have uniform numbers? Should they have uniforms? Maybe maybe that's a question for another day. <laughs> let's, I, not cover, yeah, answer, let's not cover too much. My answer, I've kind of skirted around the, the question so far. My answer is no. Or maybe you have the manager have a number, but not the rest of the coaches. Because then they can still keep selling Craig Council number 30 shirts in the uh, team store. Because how else are they going to are they gonna sell them? Yeah. Well, I'll pose a, a potential issue. Third base coach, are they just going out with a generic brewery uniform then? Well, they'd have to go out with a team issued thing. They, they can't go out there with a generic number with no back. Or generic jersey <laughs> with no back. That would, that would be a, a, a brutal look. Or they could exactly. have like... 3B on it, like they have BB for Bat Boy, with no number. No, not no. not. I mean, think about the decline in sales we'd see in Quentin Barry Quentin Barry jerseys. That's true. I mean, probably tenfold. I would imagine. I would imagine <laughs> from the uh, three per year that his parents order from the team. Yeah, store. exactly, exactly. We, I mean, that yeah, that would speaking be. Speaking of bench specialist, pinch runner Quentin Barry. True. Now obsolete because of the the lack of forty man rosters in September. That's true. That's true. But I, I would say I that's the reason I would keep them for the coaches because they're going to be on the field. So in some ways they need it more than the manager. I still like the manager number. I know they don't really – I'm trying to think, Are who are – can you think of any current managers that, that are like religious about actually wearing their uniform and don't just wear a sweatshirt or, or suit? Uh, I was thinking about um, – now I'm totally blanking on his name, the Mets manager Buck from Jones. years – no, from years ago, who used Gary to just Collins? who used to just keep his hand in his jersey, like get it tucked in his jersey at all times. Uh, and it wasn't Terry Collins. It was not Terry. No, not it, it, this was a while ago. Probably who was it? Valentine. No, not that. Not, not Terry Manuel. Terry Manuel. Terry Manuel. You you remember that? Yes, that's who I picture in uh in, in the in the full full uniform top step. I, I feel like his like resting spot. He always had his hand like in his jersey for some obscure reason. I don't know why that was the case, and I don't really know why I remember that. But that's who I, I think of. I do either. Yeah, like in Matheny. Did Matheny usually wear full uniform? Maybe I think that seems right. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that probably probably was. But yeah, it really has. It's changed. I mean, it's kind of like I think about it similar to the change of. The NBA coach going, or co- yeah, coach, head coach going from, of course, the the suit to every single game to now we get like the the quarter zip pullover uh, in the in the NBA. The, yeah, the in college there's still a lot of the some of them, yeah. Yeah, there's a that's a how pretty college sports are. They they take like twenty years to adapt to what the professional <laughs> game has done. Well, yeah, that's what you were saying about the NCAA issuing some 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 rules around. Less bat flips, less show, less I guess showmanship. You get ejected for excessive celebration now in NCAA baseball, so not the place to uh, to bat flip anymore. Yeah, I don't know. It is it is true. It is a little bit typically years behind years behind the big league. So I guess I don't think we have to come to a conclusion on on should should managers have to have numbers. I guess everybody can have their own opinion on that. But I would I would be in favor of keeping them. For the managers, I would only be in favor of keeping them for the coaches because they're actually on the field. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that would – I don't like the thought of no number or, like, 3B or 1B or 
anything like that. Actually, while we're on the topic of numbers, you also mentioned to me that Matt Bush changed his number this year. So in case yeah. you were not aware, there's a random breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah, that should really should have been top of the top of the episode. But Matt Bush changing his number to 21, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So any other when I when I have a more disposable income, I will buy shirts for all the all the coaches. So I'll buy like a a Chris Hook number 84 shirt. And I will buy a Walter McKinvin number 60 shirt. And, uh, and I don't know if I can even name all the coaches right now. Uh, we don't true. need to go through Jason Lane. Jim Henderson. Mm-hmm. You already have Jim Henderson bobblehead. You're already there. They, they did. He didn't, he didn't uh, get to reclaim his number 29. 29. Yeah. 50, 51 and 29. And they assigned him like 63 or something. Disappointing. Yeah, definitely. Just Possibly doesn't look the same. Organization. <laughs> it just doesn't look the same under the sweatshirt. No. <laughs> he, so, he stands there. Yeah, exactly. Doing what all bullpen coaches do, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, stand there and make sure the bubble gum is stuck. Actually, no, that's the rookie strap. Everybody knows. If you ever see, uh, I remember seeing Wei Chung Wong when we used to go to games early for BP and try to get autographs. Wei Chung Wong with the bubble gum suitcase or Tyler Thornburg. They'd have like a My Little Pony suitcase that they'd wheel out to the bullpen that had all the the seeds and the the bubble gum, which is mm-hmm. classic classic baseball. So, any other David? Any other thoughts from opening day? Either Brewers across the league, just three games into the season. Any other takeaways or thoughts or, or things that uh, you thought would be worth noting? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Should I? I? I'm I'm I'm. Pulling it up right now. I, I thought about this before the episode, and then I forgot to get the the stat that I was gonna get, and now my computer is taking a while to load. There we go. Here, well, here we go. I'll 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 okay. help you out. Well, you yeah, I'll, I'll I'll ghostwrite your closing thoughts again. But I, I will now. I got now. I got them. Okay, there we go. Go for it. Bryce Turang on his first is in his first three game major league games. Reached base five times. Robin Yount, in his first three major league games, he reached base a combined two times. So, therefore, Bryce Turang will be, what would that be, 2.5 times better than Robin Yount over his career? Is that how it works? Just just on base. Let's not get carried away here. Just okay. a, just on, on base skill. Okay. Yeah, so, so, he will have a, like, 700 on base percentage? That, that that'll play. Point? That'll play. That'll play while Urias is gone, I'd say. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, with, with that uh, on our backdrop, uh, we'll, we'll certainly have you covered here as the Brewers have their home, home opener. Freddie Peralta, I believe, his first career home opener start. So that's pretty cool for Freddie, and I'm excited to see him back. We get a healthy Freddie Peralta, uh, which we've talked about as sort of the X factor to the rotation. And then the Brewers, like I said, welcome their arrivals in the Cardinals for the weekend series. And we'll certainly have you covered uh, pretty much weekly now as we get into the course of the season. If you're new here, we've had a lot of new listeners join the podcast. Our last episode was actually our highest played episode of all time on our podcast. And we've really seen views or listens, I guess, really um, 2x really over the last couple of months, which has been really fun as we've continued to uh, build more of a following on on the podcast and, and on Twitter and YouTube. So you can always find us at The Barrel MKE, like I said, on Twitter. We're also on YouTube, uh, putting out some videos occasionally, but definitely Twitter is probably the best place to interact with us. If you want to drop any 
comments on on things you want to see, random players of the days, guests you want to see, um, or uh, whatever. We always like to hear hear from you guys and hear what what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. Um, we're we're certainly doing this doing this for all the Brewers fans, doing this for us and for the fans of Milwaukee. So, with that, Brewers course taking two out of three against the Cubs. Bryce Turing, the next Robin Yount, that is confirmed from David. And Brewers welcoming the Mets and Cardinals this week. We will be back in a week. And until then, as always, this is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to The Barrel Banter. We'd appreciate it if you leave a comment or review so we can get the word out about our show. To hear more, find us on YouTube at The Barrel or on Twitter at The Barrel MKE. We look forward to connecting with you next time.